Hey friends, Ashton here and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Super grateful that you're joining us today and we are uh, well into our latest series uh, along the conversation of the true self. What is it? How do we live from this place? Um, All the different language and different voices that we've had that have come here have been beautiful. And joining us today uh, from New York City is a new friend of mine, Michael Rudzina. He's the pastor uh, of Good Shepherd New York. And I know I've shared that with you guys over the last year. Their digital church presence online has been uh, uh, just a beautiful thing for my family to experience. Tons of my friends here locally and I know across the nation uh, have really tuned in to what they're doing. And it's been a beautiful thing and their work uh, has been an amazing thing for me in my life in the last year. And so when I was thinking about a who's who's list to come on and chat about the true self, uh, I thought of Michael and reached out to him and he said, yes, I'll come on. So uh, with that being said, super grateful again for the second time uh, to have back at the podcast, Michael Redzina. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me again, Ashton. You bet, brother. So uh, maybe for some of those folks that weren't here, uh, last fall when you came on, uh, and, and my kind of bio that I gave you, um, where, where do you begin when you introduce yourself and your work in the world? Well, I'm, I guess I, I begin with, uh, my role in the church that I founded. So I'm the founding pastor of uh, good shepherd, New York, and we are an interdenominational ecumenical Christian community in New York city. And, uh, I've lived in New York for 10 years and our church is about to be eight years old. Uh, so it, that's what, that's probably where I spend most of my energy and have, um, one of the more, it's one of the more significant things I think probably about me in, in terms of introductions. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm married and have four children in Manhattan, which is a, uh, you know, of, of interest as well. Um, it, it could probably be its own TV show. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, I, I, I also enjoy have, have begun to uh, do more writing and am uh, develop, developing a couple of projects right now that um, that I hope to publish in the next couple of years. So beautiful. Um, yeah. Right on, man. Well, and I know that um, the, the last year uh, has been a whirlwind for so many of us. You guys mm-hmm. at Good Shepherd um, really uh, like just did an incredible pivot um, and created this digital church footprint that so many of us uh, have just quite honestly fallen in love with. Tell, tell me a bit about that project that you've been involved with for the last year. Yeah, we, uh, this has been such an odd year and I, I joke around with people all the time, especially within our community. If you would have asked anybody like who, who's really going to, um, you know, who would thrive in a digital church format? I don't think anybody in our parish would have mm. been like, oh, we would do great. <laughs> um, but, uh, and honestly, I, I didn't know how to think about what we were doing at first. It was just like, you know, throwing spaghetti on the wall and yeah. seeing what sticks. But uh, the feedback that we've gotten over the last year has been absolutely overwhelming. I, every week get emails and letters from all around the country and, at first, I think I was ambivalent about it because I, I, I generally am averse to a digital medium mm-hmm. for a church community and spiritual formation. And part of that is probably because of my experience in the church growth movement and 
mega church world and church as production. So I I think I probably had just an allergy toward that disposition. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think as time went on, I grew to respect the, the impact that what we were putting out there was having on people and, um, and really came to, to uh, appreciate it and value it. And uh, it was a lot of work at the, on the front end, um, way more time and energy than we probably ever would have imagined. Um, but it was worth it to try to, you know, throw, throw a bone to our congregation who just immediately and suddenly was at the epicenter of the pandemic and there was so much fear and anxiety and connection was really important and stability was really important at that time. And so that's how it began. We just wanted to connect with our parishioners and then uh, slowly but surely, I guess people started sharing it and, mm. and it sort of has expanded beyond what we would have probably ever imagined. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been beautiful and, and such a gift in our lives. And I will say, uh, I've been blown away by your parishioners and their involvement. This isn't just a church leadership thing. Like it is so many all hands on deck that are involved there. Um, and each week uh, you guys put something uh, crazy beautiful into the world. And so I'm high-fiving you through the microphone. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Thank, thank you for what you've been doing. And for those of you that are listening, uh, please check it out every week, post live uh, on YouTube um, and then you can replay it. So, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Um, well, man, let's get into this dialogue around true self and false self. And and I know it's yeah. a, uh, it, it's, it, this is probably a conversation that you could, we could all take a couple days and chat through, but I'm, I'm loving just kind of gathering info and insight and tidbits of wisdom from all of these different voices that I look up to in the world. Uh, and you being one of those, um, when you kind of hear true self brought up, uh, or maybe the better question is when you think of the concept of true self and false self, where, where did you first kind of interact, um, with this language, Mm -hmm. uh, in, in your experience? Uh, for me, I, I stumbled across the idea reading a book called the gift of being yourself by David Penner. Hmm. And it was assigned reading for a, a graduate program that I was enrolled in um, around spiritual formation and leadership. And I remember reading the book and being moved to tears, you know, at multiple, multiple points. And it was one of those books that hits me every once in a while where I, I read it and it grips me so deeply that I can't put it down. I just fly through it. Mm. And then I, I not only fly through it, but you, you know how sometimes it's like you have to, you have to take notes <laughs> yeah. you have to like digest something. Um, but there are books that I read and I fly through it, not because, uh, you know, I'm not taking it in, but because it's just, there's such a, uh, a beautiful coming together of where I am in life and the, and how this writer is speaking to me that I can go quickly and there's profound connection and resonance. That's what that book was for mm. me. And it's a short read, but it introduced this idea of the true self and the false self to me. And I, um, I just remember the Im- immediate emotional resonance. I think, you know, in retrospect, my personality type, if you read it through the lens of the Enneagram, mm-hmm. I'm a type three, but I'm a very um, externally oriented person. I spend a lot of energy <laughs> internally. Uh, my motor is constantly running. 
in ways I don't even try. It just happens. Uh, like curating myself and, you know, managing perceptions and uh, in, in all my relationships. And I think reading that book was seeing myself in a mirror for the first time. Mm. And uh, it was like opening the door to that process in my, in my, um, you know, could call it your ego or whatever, my inner world. And it was uh, both enlightening and emotional because I had seen myself, you know, in a way that I hadn't Mm -hmm. seen it before. And uh, I also felt a little bit of shame Mm -hmm. in feeling exposed. And I felt a tremendous amount of hope because I, it was the first time I felt like I was really brushing into or bumping into what is stable within me, Mm -hmm. what is, um, you know, anchoring me or what is authoritative um, that I can, a place in, in my interior world I can live from. And that was a very novel idea for me. Um, but it was, I knew it was an important one. And so probably from that time on, I've always been trying to connect the dots between, I've been on the learning journey of like the psychological language of true self, false self. I have been on a learning journey of trying to connect the dots between that and, you know, the Christian tradition of which I'm a part. And it's been one of my great joys uh, to be able to find those fresh connections and uh, grow and develop myself. Mm. Well said. You know, it's interesting that you mention um, kind of shame coming up. And, and when I, my first introduction to the language was uh, Richard Rohr's Immortal Diamond. And it was a shifting point for me. And I do remember, I, when, when, you, when you're introduced to the language of the false self, right along with the inter- introduction of the language of the true self, you do feel this like, oh my gosh, it's like I've been had, right? Um, and there's this, there's a bit of this negative emotion there. How did you, how would you invite someone to kind of ride those waters? Because I, I, I feel like the more I'm learning and having this conversation, the further I learn about the true self, the, the more I kind of awaken to some of the unhealthier sides of the false self. And I think you have to, you kind of have to have some tools to navigate that. Um, mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until someone was like, hey, your false self isn't your bad self. Like just that simple phrase there kind of helped mm-hmm. shift some of that for me. Do you, do you have anything that you could share? Sure. I, I think that um, you you mentioned frameworks that help us understand. And that's been part of my learning journey, just uh, on the hunt for frameworks for understanding ourselves yeah. you know, rooted in psychology and social science. Uh, that shine light on um, our experience. And um, I've, I've, I stumbled across a, an approach to psychotherapy that I fell in love with. And my friends told me about this process called AEDP, which uh, I probably will not remember all the, it's like accelerated dynamic, uh, you know, experiential psychotherapy, I think is what Mm. it stands for. Mm. But, but it's the idea that, our um, core emotions are a key to understanding and interpreting uh, ourselves and, uh, and also getting to the place of healing and authenticity. And in that framework, I read a book called It's Not Always Depression, um, which is a, a, a wonderful book by Hilary Jacobs Hendel. And 
she she talks about in that framework uh, prohibitive emotions. So like when I when I read that book and felt a little bit of shame, that's a prohibitive emotion. It's not mm. a core emotion. Mm. It's actually protecting. I'm I'm protecting something with that feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And shame is you know it's a self protective mechanism. Guilt is another one. It's a other protective mechanism. And I I find that in you know as we as we are our eyes and, and ears are open to like who how we are behaving and how we are, are living in the world, we can feel exposed. And I think one of the immediate reactions I had was wanting to protect that exposure. Hmm. And that's the feeling of shame, yeah. kind of wanting to hide and not feel so exposed. It's not that uh, what, what you are or are doing is bad uh, or even, you know, in, in Christian language, sinful. It, it's just that, you're, you're being seen in a way that you, that's vulnerable and you don't want to be seen in that way necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is it we're protecting? A story, a narrative, an image. I, I would, I'm not an expert on this, so I'm not exactly sure, but I can speak to my own experience and maybe like some of my pastoral experience. I think shame is often, it's a social protection emotion. So it's, it's often, we're hedging against a sense of rejection. We're hedging against a sense of expulsion. And we all have narratives in our, in our minds that tell us what is worthy, what belongs, what is desirable or admirable. And when we begin to see ourselves in ways that aren't that, we can feel a sense of shame. Um, and that, that could vary from culture to culture. I mean, there are different, you know, stories we tell about who the heroes are or what is honorable. And, uh, you know, when we don't line up with that and we, we face the threat or perceive the threat of social rejection, that's, that is when we experience shame. So I I think that, you know, probably in my mind, (laughs) the, the, the feelings of, um, of inauthenticity that I, you know, like was seeing in my life felt shameful i felt like oh if, if somebody knew it's almost like imposter syndrome if somebody mm-hmm. knew that that i was curating at that level I, I they may not want to be in relationship with me so i think that probably is the core of it for me yeah yeah and what yeah. did you say that guilt is protecting that was that was interesting well i i understand guilt as a also a prohibitive emotion but it 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 keeps us from hurting the feelings of another um, when we feel guilt, we, it's, it's a, it's a sort of gut check. It's a, um, a nerve that, that is sensitive to something, uh, that's, that's potentially harmful or is harmful toward another. And, uh, it, it is a governor, you know, that I think helps, <laughs> it helps our, our behavior not be as bad as it, it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but, but neither shame nor guilt are, the essence of who we are, they are periphery sort of emotions, you know? Um, and they're, they're, they're often prohibiting, they're called prohibitive emotions because they're prohibiting us from experiencing a core emotion. Um, so we get stuck in a cycle of guilt. We get stuck in a, a cycle or a narrative of shame. We can't get into the inside of what's really going on. Um, so yeah, that's how I, that's kind of how the framework has helped me um, to process even that early experience of shame as I felt seen (laughs) for the first time, you know? Yep. And I'm a three as well. Uh, uh, All of that rings very true uh, 
for my uh, experience. Um, you, you mentioned the word stable when, when you were kind of mm-hmm. giving your intro to the true self. Um, yeah. Kind of walk with me and, and help paint that picture. I don't want to give all the, all the PR to the false self in this conversation. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, stable. Um, some other of our conversations, we've, we've used language, you know, that unoffendable space, uh, total, at total rest, at total peace, the grounded self, the big self. Mm. Um, what other words have you found, uh, to, to be useful to, to point to this beautiful mystery that we're chatting through called the true self? It's a great question. And, you know, I've, I've definitely found language all around, uh, all over the place. That's been helpful for me to understand, um, how, how I can, how I can, uh, feel my way toward the, the authenticity at the core of, of my being, what we would call the true self. And I think of it like a donut in some sense, like the periphery of our, of our ego structure of our lives is often, it's not necessarily bad. It's like, it's just like, um, it's along for the ride or it, it may be an, an unwelcome guest, hmm. but we often enjoy it and indulge it, but against our deeper values. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And um, at the core, you know, I, there's this idea of the open hearted state in AEDP theory, which I really like. Um, and they have this like framework of a change triangle. So if in one corner you have your core emotions in the other corner, you have these prohibitive emotions Um and I think these ideas of uh, core emotions being fear, anger, sadness, uh, disgust, joy, excitement, sexual excitement, all of these are, are um, the psychologists say we contain multitudes. And it's true. We, we have, you know, a, a little bit of all of that depending on our circumstances and mm. how we're relating to the world. And yet that those feelings can often feel, feel overwhelming to us. Um, but the, the assumption is once you feel that feeling and embrace it and let it, let it know how it feels in your body and let yourself go through that, that feeling to the other side, on the other side, there's this place of um, confidence, of calmness, of clarity. Um, there's, you know, uh, I can't remember all of them at the, at this point they they have this, this idea of the seven C's, hmm. which is super helpful for me. Um, but I, I find that that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the core self. Yeah. And it's yeah. the kind of thing that you grow in fluency around. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to, because we don't, we're not always grounded in it or connected to it. We often don't even, we don't even know what we're talking about. I didn't certainly, I, I, I thought of the true self in more ideological terms and, I was experiencing these like surface emotions of guilt or shame or whatever, but I I don't know that I was letting myself go to the core places. Mm. And only as I've begun to embrace these like core emotions and feel my way through it to the other side, do I know, okay, this is grounding. This is where I'm calm. This is where, you know, I'm, I'm clear. This is where I, I um, am compassionate. Um, And, and it's, and, and, and then you have confidence um, because you, you start to learn, oh, that's what that feels like. And you develop, I've developed, I think over time, like a, a, a new kind of knowing hmm. mm-hmm. a new kind of like uh, self that's authoritative. Um, 
And that's a great way to, to put it for me. You know, we all have the true self are the, our beliefs and our desires and our affects that have special status. Um, they have an authority to express where we really stand. And the false self are the beliefs and the desires and the affects that are in our head, but they're, they're sort of, a, as I said, along for the ride, or they may even be intruders that aren't in line mm-hmm. with our, our deepest self. So I, I, I found that language and that framework to be very helpful yeah. uh, to my own experience. And then I found rich connections to, you know, Christian spirituality as well within that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Have you noticed consistent, like, a handful of red flags of of when, because I I love, you know, one of the words we keep coming back to in all these interviews is, like, coming from a place of your essence, right? Like, coming from the formless side of you, and yet we're all so addicted to the the places that are the form side of us, right? You know, not the soul, but the role, uh, not our mm. being, but what we do in the world. And and so I've, I've been wrestling with the, the language of like form and formlessness, but I, I wanted to know like, and as a three, we could probably both speak to this in, in a similar way, but just you, you start developing, it's like a new sense of like, Oh, there's, there's ego again. There's the false self again. And I don't know if it's like a bodily, <laughs> you mentioned watching cool. the emotion all through the body. Um, but as, as you have kind of learned the language or, or, or come to know more of that true self of yours, um, are there little small things that you've been able to say, this is when I know I'm grounded, centered, calm, collected, whole, integrated, mm-hmm. versus chaotic, isolated, defending, um, mm-hmm. categorizing, labeling, you know, everything like that. I'd just be interested to see if you have any yeah. space there. I think the the biggest cues, you know, red flags is, is I, I haven't thought of it in those terms, but like... Uh, Cues. Definitely cues, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Um, prompts that that'll uh, signal to me that that I'm I'm perhaps like uh, I'm not centered. I'm not living from that that true self. Um, you know, a lot of times it's like very behavior oriented for me. Um, I'm sure that you could also find like thought patterns or narrative mm-hmm. loops mm-hmm. that would be revealing as well. But somehow behavior becomes the signal to me that um, that I may not be grounded in my true self in the moment, or I wasn't acting from that place of authenticity mm-hmm. in the moment. Uh, and one of those, I think, cues is uh, our coping mechanisms. Whenever we are feeling a deep feeling and then cutting ourselves off from it or not letting ourselves process, process it all the way through, you know, we have ways of, of uh, numbing out, you know, of cutting ourselves off from that feeling. And, you know, I have my handful of, of coping mechanisms that when I see those ramping up, I don't try to moralize it too much. Like you said, like the false self isn't necessarily bad or sinful. It's, it's what we do to protect ourselves from something that, that feels threatening. Um, but, and that can get, that can become harmful to ourselves and to others. And in that case, it, I think it, you know, becomes sinful, but uh, there are, a lot of behaviors that I just find myself like uh, doing and all of a sudden I'm like, Hey, I noticed that I'm, I'm developing this habit, Mm. you know? Um, 
I love the 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 movie that about the existential scientists. Um, do you remember that film? It was like uh, it was really funny. It had uh, Naomi Watts in it, and uh, I can't recall the title. Mm-hmm. Oh, I Heart Huckabees. Uh-uh. Never Did saw. Did you it. ever see that uh-uh. film? Okay. <laughs> It's really funny. It's like this, it's, it's essentially these like crazy characters and there's this existential detective that's like following some of these characters around, just observing. And at certain times, this one character played, um, uh, it, well, it doesn't matter who played him, but the main character is telling the story about how uh, an experience with Shania Twain. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> and he, he like it, is working it into almost every conversation. <laughs> and when when the existential detective confronts him about it, he's like in denial. It's like no, and then he just plays the tape, and it's like Shania Twain. That one time <laughs> I had sandwich with Shania Twain. Shania Twain in every conversation, and you can just see like the the humiliation yeah. on his face. Um, that would be an example of like a a behavior cue. Mm-hmm. Like why you know, and 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 for me, I think it's important one of the things I've learned from Christian mysticism and the contemplative tradition is to engage in the spiritual process from the starting point of non-judgment. Because when you, when you start with the point of judgment, we we often don't have, um, we don't have the energy or the courage to match that judgment. And so we, we, we hide or uh, we tap out and check out. Uh, You know, it's, it's like, we don't have the, I like to use in, in our liturgy, the idea of a flower opening up, in the, in the warmth and the light of the sun. Mm. I think that's starting from a place of non-judgment and the assumption of non-judgment, divine non-judgment helps us to accept reality as it is. And only when we accept reality as it is, can we move toward any kind of change? And so I think just for me seeing the, you know, Oh, you're telling that story a lot. You know, you're dropping that name quite a bit. Uh, You're, you know, you're, you're really like, binging netflix like every night you know what are you and and for me i get curious rather than judgmental Mm. now i think that's my instinct yeah is to get curious and and i just start with saying well what's that about what's that about what am i what am i running from right now you know what am i what do i feel overwhelmed by right now or threatened by right now and that becomes an an occasion to self-reflect and to get to the heart of my behavior. So that to me is like an indicator that I'm not living from the, my true self. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could just take the true self, you know, I like the seven C's thing, you know, like calm, courageous, uh, clear, compassionate and so forth. But uh, in that I can look at the opposite and say, where am I, where is my dominant experience, um, you know, fear or cowardice? Mm. Where, where is my dominant expression, um, intensity and turmoil rather than calmness? Yeah, yeah. You know, so th- these are all to me cues that something's, something's off, you know, or I'm not, I'm not living from that place, that center. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And, and I think curiosity aligning mm-hmm. in the true self judgment being connected to the false self. I think, um, I love that, that what you're getting at there about seeing those seeing those places, those moments, and those narratives in that non-judgment stance is huge. Because um, mm-hmm. then you can, you can name reality what it is, uh, mm-hmm. less the story that you've laid over it, and then from there you can change. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I find that, that um, oftentimes like the in, intensity is so it's drummed up or dialed up and every moment becomes so high stakes. And a lot of people just can't, I don't know many people who can in the face of that meaningfully observe, mm-hmm. you know, meaningfully see reality um, because something's at stake. It's like the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset and education, yeah. um, which is paradigm shifting for me. You know, a fixed mindset believes any test I take, you know, in academia, any test I take reveals who I am at my core. Um, mm-hmm. So every test is so high stakes because I'm either a failure or I'm a success. I'm either good at this or I'm bad at this. And um, a, a growth mindset just assumes, oh, a, a failure is my friend yeah. because failure will teach me where I need to grow, where I can change. And it starts with that belief that I can change, I can transform. And so I'm very interested in, in spiritual formation and like, what are the, what's the environment? You know, what are the, what's the ecosystem that makes change possible? Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I think that you reminded me of uh, Victor Frankl in between the stimulus and the response, there is a space and in that space lies our destiny. Is that right? Something yeah. like that. Like just that, yeah. that you know, that um, it, it is, I, I would say learning, finding the language of the true self has given me, uh, and by the way, one out of a hundred is kind of a win here. So I'm not speaking yeah. like an expert, uh, but maybe one out of a hundred times in between the stimulus and the response you cultivate that stillness, that awareness that that can kind of step back for a second and say, "Hey, what's going on here?" And I think that's that's been a huge gift uh, that the true self language yeah. has has given me. Is wait a minute, who's offended? Uh, why is the ego offended? Uh, what's yeah. at stake here? Um, yeah, and then you can kind of set some of that down and 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 reground yourself and hopefully become a redemptive presence in the world. Um, sorry for the tangent. Um, no, that's good. <laughs> so uh, what about any practices or disciplines? Um, anything at uh, this AD, 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 what is it? AEDP? I'm going to have to check AEDP. that out. AEDP. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else from a uh, contemplative practice that you think um, kind of helps, um, you know, kind of remove some of that ego scaffolding that we build around uh, who we think mm-hmm. we are. Um, well, I, I do speaking to that ecosystem that makes change possible that allows us to, you know, grow in how we are connected to our true self and express it in the world. The contemplative tradition really sets this, it sort of sets the table for, I think that journey so well because of its emphasis on silence and of stillness and mm-hmm. of solitude. Yeah. You mentioned stimuli. I, there are there are things that we're constantly responding to, and we rarely have the time and space, given modern life and the pace of life, to just stop and exhale and observe. And um, the contemplative tradition allows us to do that with a Godward leaning, which is also very helpful for many of us, um, to let the starting point of our being and uh, and our reflection be the, the the grounding and accepting love of God. Mm. And then to be still in that in that place, to sort of connect to that, and to to sort of like reflect from that place. Can you repeat that? Uh, so the starting it, place. <laughs> yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, to let that be the starting place, uh, where we try to connect to to that in stillness, silence, and solitude. 
to that love of God. And then we also try to reflect on our life from that place. Mm. Um, because so much of our, I think our, our perception, self-perception is distorted uh, because we're not grounded in love and there's some other force or some other influence, you, you know, even biblically called the principalities and the powers of the flesh or whatever. There are forces that are at work in us that keep us from getting to that, that core, that place that God created and loves and, um, and living from that place and, exp- and, and also growing in that place. So that's what I mean. And mm-hmm. I think the contemplative tradition, whether it's the examine prayer where you can review, mm-hmm. you know, um, an actual tangible period of time, and you can identify your your consolations and your desolations, and you can have a you can uh, begin to attune yourself to how you're interpreting God's voice and God's invitations in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, I I find that I'm much more uh, able to process to to face my life when I'm engaged in that kind of practice. When I'm not. I can do it to the degree I can do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not saying you can't do it. Yeah. I just think you could do it to the degree you can do it. We all have like a limited capacity. So I, I see contemplative practice as um, increasing our capacity for observation and for courage to, uh, to change. Mm. Um, and then I think also just as a three, you know, I think change and transformation becomes its own like, merit badge so to speak it can be the next the thing that you like can can boast about that like how i did that yeah and it's sort of um you know the ends and the means are so deeply tied together i think we know and from marshall McLuhan, you know the the media ecologist to um our you know the teaching of jesus um you can't cast out satan by satan Hmm. um there's there is a um, there's a path to the true self that can't be shortcutted. It, you can't make a shortcut. You can't uh, somehow speed it up. It you have to go. And, and the way I understand it is you have to go through your core emotions. If you can't get through your core emotions and being connected, it, you can't get there mm-hmm. because your core emotions are <laughs> they are core. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're called called that for a reason and. Uh, so I, to me, it's just like, okay, what helps me get to that place? You know, because um, all of my, all of our emotions are our allies. They're either protecting us, or they're, they're all telling us something important about our lives. And, um, and so learning to, to receive the messages that our emotions are telling us um, and then to ground ourselves uh, on the other side of those, the, the, the experience of that is to me what the true self means. Hmm. And I, I find that, at 41 years old, I'm only beginning uh, to to really uh, come into touch with that. Well said. Man, I don't want to add anything to that. That was beautiful. Um, well, man, thank you uh, for bringing your insight, curiosity, and wisdom. Um, again, super grateful for uh, all you guys are doing uh, and your mm. generosity to our community here. Um, joining us at the podcast for a second time. And um, you've got the mic here anytime you want it. So if you need to throw some new ideas out, keep us on speed dial. Sounds good. I I think the only practice I'm going to add, listen, I'm going to go out on this, is please go to therapy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like find a good therapist and do the work because it's it's hard to do this alone. It's hard to do it even just like 
you know, with, with your close friends or your spouse. I mean, it, it, it it's nice to have someone who's not in your, in your orbit yeah, uh, where the stakes aren't as high, helping you see things and guide you. So I, I encourage that. Yeah. Beautiful. All right, brother. Thanks so much All for right, coming man. on. Appreciate your time. Okay. Thanks, Ashton. Bye.